0: Father, we humble ourselves before you this morning and acknowledge our need of you. And we thank you that you love us, God. Lord, you have sent your word and you have given it to us. And we get to study it today. We get to preach your word today. And I pray and rely upon the Holy Spirit to give us revelation of Jesus. Lord, the natural mind does not receive the things of the spirit. They're spiritually discerned. So I ask that you would give us the mind of Christ. That, Lord, we would be spiritual in our approach to your word today. And we'd be spiritual in our approach to the preaching. Father, that we would seek to know Jesus and not information. Lord, that you would do an everlasting work in our hearts, and Lord, that we would truly live in such a way and speak in such a way that we would see multitudes of people come into the kingdom of God, that we would be life givers. And I thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. So in the gospel of John is where I want to start this morning, and in the first chapter, John gives this description of Jesus. He's the word of God, he was with God in the beginning, the same is God, and He is the light of the world. He came into the world, and the light shined in the darkness. The darkness cannot overcome the light. Even to this day, the light of Jesus Christ is still to be reckoned with, and the darkness has not put the light out. Thank God. You're a part of something everlasting. You're a part of a a kingdom that shall know no end. And you get to help promote and build the kingdom of God in the earth Jesus is life. There is no life outside of Jesus Christ. And the Bible says that in verse four, he is life. And so if you want life, you need to have Jesus Christ. It's an amazing thing. If you would consider that most of the people that are here this morning, that you're sitting around do not come from good backgrounds. They, they didn't come with a good upbringing. They didn't, they weren't moral people. They weren't ethical people that you're sitting around today. These people lived a life of sin. They lived a life away from God. Many of them thought they were living the life until they met Jesus Christ. And when they met Jesus, they found life. They found it in such a way, it wasn't religion, it wasn't Christianity that they were just trying to team up with. But they found a person, and this person, Jesus, gave them life. He gave them love. And so they made a decision to follow Jesus Christ. They could be anywhere today They could be serving anything today. They could be living anywhere today. They could be addicted to drugs today. They could be serving the devil. They could be living a moral life and maybe an upstanding person in the community. But they made a choice to serve Jesus Christ because they found him, himself, to be everything that they were looking for I just make that appeal to you as you're sitting here. Maybe you don't know Jesus Christ. Maybe you don't have life. You think you're living the life, but you don't have life, and you're depressed, and you have difficulties in your life, and you're unhappy in your life, and your, your whole life is from one high to the next high. Whatever gives you that, you're bored with God. You're bored with church. I get it. Because this is not life. If you came in here without Jesus Christ, this means nothing to you. You're just looking at your watch, when do I get out? Because it's not, it's, th- this is just not your environment. But when Jesus is alive in you, then it's like, oh, I just love him. I want to be with him. My whole life has changed. And that's the way people are all around you. They could be anywhere, but they're with him. Because they found life in him. And I pray that you will find life in Jesus Christ this morning. And I just wanted to stress that for a moment. Because I hope to conclude with that today. He came into the world as the light. And the world did not recognize him. The world did not know him. And so therefore he was rejected. He came to his own. And they did not receive him. But thank God he doesn't quit. And God keeps coming back. And coming back and coming back. Until we eventually get the opportunity to know God. But this is what I want us to see in in verse 15. or, Or if we can, verse 14. The word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father. Full of grace and truth. And so I want you to understand that Jesus was a glory. Jesus is a glory that is to be beheld with all of my heart. That's what I desire for you to behold the glory of Jesus Christ. If you miss that, you miss everything in life. And I desire that with all of my heart in Jesus Christ, there is fullness of grace and truth. That is wonderful, because grace is the the enabling of God. Grace is God's power working in your life. Grace is not just this, you know, attitude of God, well, let's just pretend that didn't happen. Or you sinned, everything will be okay, I'll just forget about it. God can't do that and remain just. In order for God to deal with sin, he cannot compromise his justice. So justice and truth met at the cross, and they kissed each other. Justice was absolutely satisfied and now mercy can be graciously given to men. And that means that God can go to work in your life legally. God can help you legally. God can pardon you legally and forgive you legally. And God, this is what we call the grace of God. It's the activity of the Holy Spirit in your life changing you, writing things on your heart and writing things in your mind. That's the grace of God at work in your life. And it's absolutely beautiful and phenomenal. But not only did grace come with Jesus, truth came with Jesus. And the importance about truth is that truth has the power to set you free. If you will humble yourself to let the truth come to you, then that truth is a person and that person of truth will set you free. That truth will break bondages. We live in a day today of, 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 of people just seem to be obsessed with deliverances, you know, and, and there seems to be such a movement in the church world today where Christians are in need of deliverance. I, I'm not saying that there aren't times where a Christian needs a deliverance. I am not, I'm not. I don't believe Christians can have demons. But I do believe that Christians can suffer oppression. And it's only because they allow it. They They kind of invite that depression into their life. And if they would repent, I believe that they would be free. But I'm not saying that there aren't moments where Christians do not need people to pray over them. And pray for victory and pray for deliverance in their life about a particular issue. So please don't misunderstand that. But it just seems like the obsession today that everything's wrong with you is a demon. Well, what's wrong with you and me is our flesh. And I'm not, I'm, I, listen, I, I think it's lazy spirituality that just wants a deliverance rather than I want the truth. I want to know the truth because the truth sets me free. I want to be built up in God and I want to walk by the spirit so I can walk in the victory of Jesus Christ. And and that is taking up my cross every day to follow the Lord. So I just I just want you to understand that that not everything's a deliverance. Though sometimes it might have to happen, but there is a walk of faith and there's a battle that we have to fight in victory that rises up against the things of our life. And so I pray that you will realize that that grace and truth has come to us. And the truth that we've been given is 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 not facts. And, and it's not do this and live and don't do this and die. Because that's the law. And, and those things are factual and those things might be true. But the fact of the matter is you can't do the law, neither can I. We've all broken the law. Therefore, we are under the penalty of the law, which is death. And our, our greatest need is to be set free from the law. And that happens when we are born again and we put our faith in Jesus. We're taken out of the law and we're brought into grace. And now we get to live in truth. And and living in truth, according to John chapter 3, it's coming to God and it's owning what I am and who I am. That's what truth is. Truth is that God shines his light on me through the person of Jesus Christ. Not through you. It's not me comparing myself with you, and if I'm living like you're living, and maybe I'm doing a little bit better than you, then I feel good about myself. Because if we measure ourselves by ourselves, then you're always going to be better than some, and you're always going to be worse than others. And so you just kind of want to achieve this mediocrity. But that's not the way God does it. He He, he would judge us according to the light of Jesus Christ, and in that light, we are all awful. And, and there is corruption in us, complete corruption. As a matter of fact, Paul said, in my flesh, there's no good thing. There's just absolutely nothing good in me. So what do we try to do? Religion tries to make the bad good. And so I'm going to do some things in my life, reform my life, change my life, change the way I live, and I'm going to do better things, and I'm going to become more Christian, and God's going to be more pleasing with me. And that is an absolute impossibility. Because even if we did do some righteousness, God says through Isaiah, your acts of righteousness are filthy rags in my sight. And so doing truth is to have the light of Jesus ...upon me, and I see myself for what I really am in the eyes of God. And I don't, I don't begin to act the way we have been by nature acting like our father did in the garden. It was the woman's fault, and the woman said it was the snake's fault, which basically it's God your fault because you made the snake... And you allowed all of this to happen, right? So we want to throw the blame on everybody, but not accept it ourselves. Truth, it's so beautiful. The truth of Jesus Christ, according to John chapter 3, if you do the truth, you will not have condemnation. And doing truth is coming to the light. God, you are absolutely right what you say about me. Everything that you say about me, everything that you're showing me about myself is absolutely correct. I own this, it's my fault, it's my sin, it's the way I am. I could blame other people, but God, I'm just going to accept this and I'm going to agree with you about what you're saying I am. And truth goes to work, cleansing you of all unrighteousness. The truth of God, the power of God through the blood of Jesus Christ begins to deal with those corruptions in our life. With the grace and the power of the Holy Spirit who actually does begin to make us like Jesus. But it's supernatural. It comes from him, not from our flesh. And so this grace and truth has come to us through Jesus Christ. And I want you to see this as we read the next couple of verses. I want you to see what came with Jesus. And the Bible tells us as we are looking into this. He's full of grace and truth in verse 14. In verse 15, John the Baptist bear witness of him. And he cried saying, this is he, was he of whom I spoke. He that comes after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. And of his fullness have all we received, and grace, far grace. This is a very wonderful way of of the Greek language, because what it is doing is it's contrasting. And and it would say this that if 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 this is the contrast that you get with Jesus Christ, and that would be grace for grace. In our world of living, we would contrast love with hate. We would we would contrast kindness with cruelty, and so when Jesus Christ came, He did not come to give the world um, life. And death. But he came to give grace and grace. Grace upon grace. Upon grace. Upon grace. That is what's flowing out of the new covenant of Jesus Christ. Not to say that wrath will not come. It will come to everyone who's not in Christ Jesus. Who's not born again. They're still under the wrath of God. This world is still under the wrath of God. But he said I did not come to condemn the world. But through me the world might be saved. But because I've come as the light. The condemnation is now here. But I didn't come to enforce the condemnation, but the grace. That's what he came to do. So he wants to give you grace for grace. And that is so beautiful of the Lord. And then if if you would, in verse 17. For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. When Jesus came, he brought something. And what he brought was light and life and grace and truth and grace for grace and grace and truth. That's what he brought. Isn't that incredible? That's what Jesus Christ, when he came to earth, brought. And up until the point when Jesus came into the world, the people, all of the people, were living under the law. Of Moses. Moses gave the law. This is a contrast. Moses gave the law. But grace and truth. Came by Jesus Christ. And it is my desire. And I know the desire of the Lord. That you would live and have this grace and truth of God. I want you to turn to Luke chapter 16. And just a very quick passage here. And then we're going to go to 2nd Corinthians. But in Luke 16 the Bible says this. the law and the prophets were until John. Speaking of John the Baptist. So the law and the prophets were until John. Since that time, the kingdom of God is preached. And every man presses into it. So I want you to understand that with the advent of Jesus Christ to earth, some very wonderful and unique things happened in history. Because when Jesus came, life came, light came, grace and truth came, grace for grace came, grace and truth came, an end of Moses came. The end of an old covenant came. And up until the time of Jesus Christ, all the way up until John the Baptist, what they preached was the the law and the prophets. But since the time of Jesus, who was the first one to preach the gospel, he preached that the kingdom of God is at hand. It is before you. It's not coming, it's here. And it's not going away. He is king of kings and lord of lords and the government is upon his shoulders and of his kingdom there shall be no end. It may not look like Jesus is in control, but trust me, he is. He knows exactly what he's doing. Walk with him. You're on the winning side. But I just want you to know since the time of Jesus, the message changed. Right? Luke 16, 16. I mean, just look at it. Since the time of Jesus, the message changed. And we don't go around preaching the law and the prophets. We we preach them in the context of Jesus. And so we go to the Old Testament and we we look at things and we look at the law and we look at the prophets. But we can't leave people there. We have to bring them into the fulfillment of that who is Jesus Christ. So how does this represent Jesus and how does this represent life? What are the types and shadows of the law that speak of Christ and our redemption? So I pray that you understand that. And my greatest desire in these couple of passages is that you would see that when Jesus came, some very radical things happened in in the history of humanity. I just pray you get that. I believe that you do. So let's go to Second Corinthians chapter 3 now. And I want you to see this because I believe God wants to bring a great harvest in the earth. And I want to be a part of that and I want you to be a part of that. I want our church to be a part of that. And so I just want you to hear this that I believe is so pertinent to our, our day and age. In verse 7 of 2 Corinthians 3, if the, manifest, if the ministration or the ministry of death written and engraved graven in stones was glorious. That's talking about Moses in the Old Testament. It's talking about the Ten Commandments that Moses received from God in the mountain. And Paul says, if that ministration or that ministry of death was glorious, because it was. It was so glorious that the children of Israel could not steadfastly behold the face of Moses. For the glory of his countenance, which glory was fading away. You remember Moses had to put a veil over his face. Because of the glory that was shining out of him. But that glory was diminishing. He didn't always wear that veil. If that was glorious. Verse 8. How shall not the ministration of the Spirit be rather glorious? Or more glorious? For if the ministration of condemnation be glory. And that's the ministration of the law. It's the law of sin and death. Paul says in Romans chapter 8. It is the law of sin and death. If you're in that old covenant, you're under the law of sin and death. You need to get out of that old covenant and get into the new covenant. But if that ministration of condemnation be glory, because it is, then much more does the ministration of righteousness exceed in glory. So this this new ministration or ministry, it's a ministry of life. It is more glorious than the ministry of death. For even that which was made glorious had no glory in this respect by reason of the glory that excelleth. And so this new covenant, this ministry of life, this ministry of Jesus Christ is so glorious. It is so profoundly glorious that it makes the old covenant, it makes the ministry of death not even look glorious. But it is, but it doesn't even look like it. I don't know if y'all were up early this morning. I was up early this morning, it was the sun had not risen, and it was just beautiful clouds, and the, and the moon was full, and the, mu- the moon was shining so brightly, you know, just so bright. I was just saying, wow, so pretty, the moon is so bright, and then I just, I, I just knew, in, in a few hours, the sun's going to come up, and you're not even going to see the moon. And that's what it would be like. Like, like, man, Moses is it. Moses is so great. This ministry that God has given us through Moses. This ability to atone for sin through these ceremonies that God has given Moses. That is so great. That is so wonderful. Now we have some access to God. God lives in that holy of holies. And we know where the tent is. And we can come and we can draw near to God. But we can't get to God. And we can't be with God. And we can't be intimate. But it sure is good to know where God is on earth. And it sure is good to know that we can bring these lambs and kill them and the blood can atone. It's just so great knowing all of that and the people are living under this glory and in this wonderful and, 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 and in a few hours, the real sun's going to rise. And, and when the real sun rises, it's going to be so bright, it's going to be so glorious that you're not, Moses what? Where? All I can see is the sun. This is so great. This is so glorious. This is so beautiful. That's, that's all Paul's talking about. And he's not trying to discredit Moses, and neither would I. But he's just trying to tell us something's coming. Something has come that is more glorious than Moses. So it's the glory of Moses, the glory of Jesus, the glory of the ministry of death, and the glory of the ministry of life. That, these are the two glories. Are you with me? Verse 12, Seeing then that we have such hope, we use great plainness of speech, not as Moses, which put a veil over his face, That the children of Israel could not steadfastly look to the end of that which is abolished. But their minds were blinded until this day remains the same veil. Untaken away in the reading of the Old Testament. Which veil is done away in Christ. But even to this day when Moses is read the veil is upon their heart. Nevertheless when it shall turn to the Lord. And beloved I beg you turn to the Lord. And when you do the veil shall be taken away. Praise God. Now the Lord is that spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Praise the Lord. Liberty, freedom. But we all with open face, beholding as in a glass, the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. Oftentimes, this passage that you just read has been used as as a passage for sanctification, that we're going from glory to glory to glory. It's not what it's talking about. It's talking about two glories. It's talking about the glory of the ministry of death and the glory in the ministry of life. It's talking about the glory of Moses and the glory of Jesus. And it's talking about when the glory of Jesus comes, his glory is going to be so transcendent and so great that it's going to eclipse Moses that you should let Moses go away. Because that fa- that glory was fading anyway. But this glory of Jesus Christ is an everlasting glory. He is not going away. And it is only by the Spirit of God that you can go from this glory to this glory. And be Beloved, you've got to get to this glory. You have got to get out of the ministry of death or you're going to die. And you've got to get into the ministry of the spirit and life so that you can live. You've got to get out of Moses so you can get into Jesus Christ or you're doomed. And so the only way that can happen is if you turn to the Lord, you turn to Jesus Christ. And then the Holy Ghost does a miracle. I'm not asking you to join a church i'm not asking you to turn over a new leaf i'm not asking you to quit smoking or quit drinking i'm not asking you to do any of that and you become a good religious person i'm asking you to turn to the lord and believe that the holy spirit can do a work in your life and move you from glory to glory oh my god and god does a work in your life that is so wonderful you are free Because there's where the spirit of the Lord is and where he is, there's liberty and there's freedom. And you're not walking around as some depressed religious guy who's always mean and mad at everything. And nobody measures up. Well, get away from that. Get away from, I don't mean bad on Moses. Moses loved the day of Jesus. Couldn't wait for the day of Jesus. Jesus said he saw my day and longed for it. All right. So it's no slight on Moses. Moses is more of a grace preacher than any of us. That's why he broke the Ten Commandments the first time. He kept it under grace, not law. If he had brought that down, they'd have all been dead. So I want you to I ask you the question if you can go to the next glory by the Spirit of the Lord. Can you let go of Moses and fully embrace Jesus? That's what I ask you. The Pentecostal ministry that has come into the world because of Jesus Christ is a ministry of supernatural power. It's not a ministry of professors giving their theologies and their thoughts and their, 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 their opinions about history. It is the Holy Ghost with power in the earth demonstrating the kingdom of God that came when Jesus came. And the preachers are still preaching that kingdom or the gospel of the kingdom. And there's power in that gospel to save and to heal and to deliver. And that's what this world needs. That's what your friends need. That's what your family needs. That's what your spouse needs. And we're constantly trying to put our friends and family and relatives under Moses. To get them to behave better. But get them into Jesus. And grace will come into their life and change them. Oh so beautifully will God change them. And so in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. We move backwards and we'll finish in chapter 3. And so this is the. The preaching of Paul, what a ministry, what a, what a beautiful ministry to be had. I preach this to ministers and pastors all over. I pray God will help me deliver this for us today. I can to breathe. Verse 19. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, I love Jesus. Jesus the Christ, Son of the living God. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us, even by me and Silvanus and Timothy, this Jesus was not yes and no, but yes, in him, is an everlasting yes. Hallelujah. Because under Moses, it's not yes and yes. It's yes and maybe. Did you fast enough? Did you pray enough? Did you give enough? Did you sacrifice enough? Maybe. See if you can earn that from God. That's Romans 4. That's not how Abraham lived. Abraham lived by faith. He was never under that debt system with God. Did I do enough? Did I fast enough? Did I pray enough? And how many times have we heard in our Pentecostal circles that the reason revival didn't come is because we didn't fast enough. And the reason your answer didn't come is because if you would have prayed one more hour, God would have done it. Really? That's the kind of God he is? But people live under that debt with God all the time. And that's why our churches are not full. And that's why people are not coming to God, because who can measure up to that? And this kind of a God would be really cruel. So Romans 4 says that it is by faith so that the promise might be sure to everyone. And so Paul says, I never brought you to a Jesus who is yes and maybe. I brought you to a Jesus who's yes. Yes. And he goes on and he says this. Verse 20, for all the promises of God in him are yes and in him amen to the glory of God by us. And so now when you go before God with whatever it is and you come in through the person of Jesus... You come through his blood. You come through his righteousness. Not because, oh, I witnessed to 100 people today and 75 of them got saved. And so I really feel spiritually high right now. And I think I've got to right into God's presence. I mean, look what God did through my life. And so, hey, God, it's me. I brought 75 people into the kingdom this week. And I got a favor to ask of you. Uh, uh, maybe. If it were 76 people, absolutely. But I don't know, 75. Let's see how hard you can pray. Let's see if you can sweat a little bit, you know, and, and do that. But it's like, no, I, I forsake that way of relating to God. And now I'm going to come to God and say, Father, I'm coming to you through the merit of Jesus Christ. I'm coming to you because this is the son that completely pleases you. And I have no identity outside of him. I'm nothing outside of him. I've got nothing to bring you but my faith in Jesus Christ. And I believe that all of your promises are in him. Yes and amen. Because if you gave me the greatest gift, who's Jesus Christ, how much more will you give me everything else? And I'm not coming just simply to ask for myself, but God, I'm coming to ask that you might be glorified in my request and in my life that, God, it would be pleasing to you. And, and, and every answer God gives me is yes, amen, yes, amen. Yes, amen. I, I, can, I, can, I can hear this in the Lord. Then why isn't there revival? Because we prayed, God, give us revival. And God said, yes, amen. But instead of going to the street corner and preaching on your lunch break, you went to lunch with your friends. You asked me and I heard you, but you didn't stay long enough with me to hear me. I had a place for you to go preach and revival would have broke out in Baton Rouge. I said yes to your prayer. But you've got to tarry with me and you've got to hear me. You've got to hear what I'm telling you so that you can walk in faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. This intimacy with God is so very important. Isn't it wonderful that the Jesus that Paul preached is the Jesus of yes and amen. He's the Jesus of yes. Now he which in verse 21, he which establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us as God who has sealed us and given the earnest of the Spirit in our hearts. And moreover, I call God for a record upon my soul that to spare you I came not as yet to Corinth. Not for that we have dominion over your faith but are helpers of your joy for by faith you stand. That's a great ministry. I want my ministry to help your joy because if I make you depressed, who's going to make me happy? And if I as a preacher, I live in such a way that all I'm doing is scolding you and telling you how you don't measure up and tell you how you're not good enough and you're sad and you're not glad and you're always depressed and I got to pastor you. And I did that to you? Who's going to make me happy? Who's going to make me glad? I didn't make that up. That was Paul's argument in chapter 2. So just want you to see it. I determined this with myself. That I would not come again to you in heaviness. For if I make you sorry. Who is he that makes me glad? The same which is made sorry by me? And I wrote this same unto you. Lest when I came I should... Have sorrow from them of whom I ought to rejoice, having confidence in you all that my joy is the joy of you all. And so what happens, and you can keep on reading, if you will, for the sake of time. Would you just keep on reading a few verses down? And I want you, as you're reading down, I want you to really notice verse 7, verse 8, and verse 11. Please notice that. It's very, very important. Um, What happened was there was a situation in the church at Corinth where sin was going on. And the church was not dealing with it. And this was uh, a a boy was having an incestual relationship with his father's wife. It was his stepmother. And so the church was condoning it. Aren't we loving was the attitude of the church. Aren't we loving? Isn't this so wonderful of us? We're so Christ-like that we can allow this sin to go on in our midst. But we're a loving people. Be careful that we understand biblical love. Because number one. This, this is going to destroy this boy's soul. It's going to destroy this woman's soul. It's going to work through your church like leaven. And you're not going to be happy in the end. Sin is not going to make you happy. So a ministry that seeks to build joy and happiness in people. is not a ministry that condones sin. Because there's not happiness in sin. But it's the way out. It's the way out of sin. It's being able to deal with it in a way where there's redemption. And that was the beautiful thing. So... In the first letter Paul wrote to them, the boy was not repenting and the church was not dealing with it. And so Paul said, listen, I've already judged this. Get him out. He actually says this, turn him over to Satan. Wow. Think about that next time you see church discipline and you call for love. Understand it. Paul said, turn him over to Satan. Thank God it doesn't end right there. That his soul may be saved. All right. Now, this is what that means. This is, this is what it means. The church is the house of God. If you throw somebody out of the house of God into the world, that's where Satan's house is. So they're just removing them from the church and they're living in the elements of the world. That's Satan. And let him know that this is not condoned in the, in the, in the name of Jesus Christ. And so he was removed from the church. Then he repents. He came to repentance, which was the goal. His soul's now saved. He's repenting, and he's coming back to the church at Corinth, and he's trying to get back in. And the church's like, no, 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 no. You can't come back in here, you sinner, you wretched person. You're an embarrassment. You're a shame upon the name of Christ. And he's knocking to get back in. Paul hears about it, and Paul says, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. Wait a minute. You need to let him back in. Not only do you need to let him back in, I need you to do three things. Lest he is swallowed up with sorrow. The three things I need you to do, church, is I need you to be forgiving, I need you to comfort, and I need you to confirm love. I need you to do those three things. It's incumbent upon you to do them. If you don't do these three things, Satan will swallow him up with sorrow. Please listen to me. The greatest problem in our world today is not the lack of repentance in sinners. It is the lack of forgiveness and comfort and confirmation of love from the believers that they are being devastated with sorrow. And it is the church of Jesus Christ, the ministry of life and not the ministry of death that lets the sinners know you are welcomed. You're welcomed. And you're not going to be judged and you're not going to be thrown out to the corner. You're welcome to come back and and walk with Jesus and walk with us. And Paul says this, listen, in that last verse I asked you to read, he said this, "If, if you don't do this, Satan will get an advantage of us. And so the, the situation is, listen, when sinners repent and people fall and people are repenting and people are wanting to walk with God and they have fallen and they have failed, it is important for the church of Jesus Christ to forgive and to comfort and to confirm because if we don't, that sinner's going to be swallowed up with sorrow. But not only that, Satan gets an advantage over the church and it ceases to be a loving church and it ceases to be a forgiving church and now it is a harsh church and it's a mean church and it's a brutal church and and the prodigals that would come home, they're not going to come home to people like that. And so I come to these three things that I need you to do if you're going to have the ministry of life. I need you to forgive. I need you to forgive one another. I need you to forgive as you've been forgiven. And in order for you to do that, I need you to live a spirit-filled life. I need you to love Jesus. And I need you to constantly be reminded about how much he's forgiven you. I need you to remember where you came from. I need to remind you what you were involved in the next time you see maybe a Christian Doing something that 's unthinkable to you, apart from the grace of God that is you, I need us to be forgiving. The devil is the accuser of the brethren, and when a person makes a confession that I want to walk with Jesus and i I, I regret, I repent i 'm sorry for my sin. We can't judge their heart. We can look at their fruit. And if their fruit is matching their confession, we try to help them in that way. But we have to forgive. God lives in a constant state of forgiveness towards us. Isn't that wonderful? And we should live in a constant state of forgiveness towards other people. They need to know that if I ever wanted to get right with you, I could. I have regretfully burned bridges in my life. I have regretfully hurt people in my life. That I'm very saddened about. Devastated about. And I've learned over the years. It's not expedient always to burn a bridge. But to try to keep the opportunity of friendship. The extension of forgiveness always available. It's one of the most Christ-like things you will ever be able to do. And it's absolutely impossible with you apart from the Holy Spirit. And if you're not full of the Holy Spirit and your heart is cold and your spirit is dry, I beg you this morning, let him fill you up. I beg you. The next thing that we're supposed to do is we're supposed to comfort one another. To comfort one another. So it's just not only the forgiveness of somebody, but after we confess forgiveness and not accusations and not railing against somebody after we express that forgiveness then we go the next step or the next mile and we comfort them we comfort them we give them consolation and we help them and so how do we comfort somebody and and I guess I would say it would be be much like God does God says to the nation of Israel in Jeremiah 29 they're in bondage in Babylon. They have rebelled against God, served other gods, killed their children to gods. And so now they're in captivity and God says to them in Jeremiah twenty nine eleven, I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord. I am going to let you have it. I mean, I'm going to bring the hammer down on you. You have been so rebellious. When I get you out of Babylon, you ain't seen nothing yet. I'm going to whoop you from the day you come back to Israel. No. That's not comfort. Let me stay in Babylon. Let me stay in the booze. Let me stay in the drugs. Why go back to church? They're going to beat you up. No, you comfort them. And how did God comfort Israel? In Jeremiah 29, 11, I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord. Thought of peace and not of harm. To give you a future. To give you a hope. And so I'd say that to you. If you, if you want to comfort people that have wrestled in life and fallen in life and sinned in life you want to you want to really comfort them give them a future because that's that's one of the most fearful things and you know it you know exactly what i'm talking about because if you've sinned and you know if anybody ever found out what i did it's over for me right right am i in heaven are all you perfect i mean right thank you and that's that's what we do when we're in sin. I mean, listen, I can go to the buffet and gorge myself. I can eat so they carry me out. You'll let me preach in the prayer meeting tonight. You catch me at one of the boats gambling. You're not going to let me in this pulpit. So, so we're so easy to forgive some sins, but not other sins. I was on a Chilean TV program, religious program. And it was years ago when they were wanting to deal with homosexuality and they were having same-sex marriage in the United States. And they, were, they pulled me on TV and cornered and me, just put me in this thing and said, so what do you think about homosexual marriages? What do you think about the homosexuals? Are they going to hell? I said, I first want to talk about your weight problem. Conversation changed really quick. People don't think they have a future, and if we could give them a future, you know, somebody comes to church. I love Brad; he's a wonderful man of God. He hasn't fallen in sin or anything, but let's say he did, and he comes back to church, and everybody's he's sitting on this row all by himself. Horrible guy, and everybody's like, what, "What did he do?" Oh, let me tell you what he did. That's why he's all by himself. You know, we're we're he's you know he's on probation. We, we we're not sure what we're going to do with him. You know. No, it's the, the comfort is like, you know, I'm just coming here and, Brad, I'm glad you're here. am glad you got a Tootsie Roll, too. I'm glad you're here, brother. I know it's been rough. I'm going to sit with you in church. I'm going to be with you. I just want to comfort you. I want you to know that I love you. You do anything for lunch? I'll take you to lunch today. Maybe we'll have some coffee this week. I just want you to know you're valuable in the kingdom of God and I just want you to know I love you because there's not a lot of people that would do that. Not a lot of people that would do that. I remember years and years and years ago, we were at a completely different property. There was a young lady in our church who got pregnant out of wedlock. And you can only hide that for so long, right? I love this young lady. I love her family. She came and repented to me, confessed to me. I love her baby who's become a great man today. And I I went down into the church and during the service, I talked with her first about it. And I put my arm around her and I said, Church, I want you all to know. She's going to have a baby and she's not married. And we forgive her and we love her. And we're not going to live accusing her or letting her live in shame. She's repented. And we're going to help her. And we're going to help raise her baby. And we're going to love her. And we're going to put this under the blood of Jesus. Angela, you remember I see you shaking your head. I remember you coming to me after that. The next thing that we do is we confirm our love. Because, you know, I could go sit with Brad in church or everybody could look at me and see how holy I am. That's a great man, you know, and maybe there's nothing at all holy about me. So I confirm my love and to confirm my love is a it, it is a public affirmation. A, it, it would be like this. This is confirming love. Zacchaeus. Come down from that tree. I'm going to your house today. Come to my house. And salvation went to that house that day. That's confirming the love. Confirming love is that woman in Simon's house that all of the holy men are rebuking as a wretched woman. And Jesus says, you see this woman? Her sins are forgiven. She's loved me much. Confirming love is the day of Pentecost. 120 people are in an upper room speaking in tongues. And there's thousands of people on the streets in Jerusalem who had denied Jesus Christ and watched him crucified. And the Holy Spirit gets up into that room and says, hey, Peter, you preach to them. Hey, denier, preach to the deniers. I am confirming my love for you. Feed my sheep. And that's confirming. And I believe the church has detrimentally wrecked some of the greatest servants That God was preparing. Because they were exposed. In something that was not pleasant. And who among us couldn't be? But lest Satan swallow them with sorrow. And gets a victory over us. Please forgive one another. Comfort one another. Confirm one another. And don't let Satan have advantage. And you cannot do it without the Holy Spirit. You cannot, please, live a spirit-filled life. And I close with this in chapter 3. And he says this in verse 6. Verse 5, he says, listen, there's nothing we can do on our own. God is our sufficiency. And he says in verse 6, who has made us able ministers of the new covenant. Able ministers of the new covenant. Not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. And, I, and, and so I, I, I kind of conclude with this to ask you, because all of you are, what kind of minister are you? What glory do you live in? Because Moses is going to throw stones. But Jesus is going to give grace for grace. Grace for truth. That's what Jesus is going to give. So what kind of ministry do you have? Let me ask that, that this is not just for preachers. This is for all of us. With your grandchildren, how interested are they in your life and your Jesus? How often are they coming to you and wanting you to teach them and wanting you to speak to them how how much do 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 you have to go to them if you're ever to talk to them about the things of God? What about your friends? What about your, your friends at work? Are they coming to you saying, I don't know, it's just something about when you start sharing Jesus with me, I just want to hear more. Are you the minister of the letter? Or are you the minister of the spirit? And please note, as we just said, it is only the Holy Spirit that can make you the minister of life. You can know the doctrines and not have life. The Holy Spirit makes you a minister of life. So are you a minister of the spirit or are you a minister of death? Please listen. The ministers of death preach from the Bible. They preach from the Bible. They don't preach lies. What they say is right. What they say is fact. Because Moses was truthful. The Old Testament is truthful. It is all accurate. And so they're not preaching lies. And that could be the way some of us might be in our home Bible studies. It could be maybe some of us as parents when we're trying to instruct our children. Maybe that's what we're doing and we're wondering because we're not seeing the fruit of Jesus in their life. And maybe we're killing them rather than giving them life. And we're not telling them an untruth. I mean, we're just reading the scriptures and going through it with them. But they're dying. And I've seen them, I've seen the preachers. not to say I have not been or would not be tempted to be that preacher. You know, you you, you, you find out what's wrong with your congregation, and I'm going to get a word. And I'm going to come, and I'm going to preach that word, and I'm going to tell you what's wrong with you. And I'm going to let you have it. And you're going to agree with me, because it's the word. And you're going to come into the altars, and you're going to pray. And, oh God, it's the word. And then you're going to come back and I'm going to let you have it again. And I'm going to let you have it again. And I'm going to let you have it again. And the churches get small. And we justify ourselves as pastors and preachers. Because we say, well, they just don't want the truth. No, they don't want death. They want life. The truth they have no problem with. It's being killed. That they can't take. And the same for our home Bible studies and our sharing the gospel with our friends. If it doesn't end in the great liberty of the Holy Spirit and the offer of faith and life in Jesus Christ. That he is everything to you and for you. And whatever you've done, no matter what it is that you've done, there is forgiveness and comfort and confirmation of love from God. And God will restore you and God will forgive you and God will help you and the grace of God will empower you. To live the life that will be pleasing to God. And God will totally and radically change your life. Only the Holy Spirit can make that real. It doesn't mean you're a soft preacher. You can still preach hell hot. And be a minister of life. Don't mistake in that with this new trend today. Everybody's a snowflake. Can't be offended. You can preach a hard, truthful message. But it's life. It's life. Draws you to Jesus. Draws you to faith. Draws you to hope in Christ. Deals with things in our life like Paul. Deals with sin. Not to make us depressed, but to make us happy. To be free. I can be free. And I've got a future. I've messed up, but I've got a future with God. God can still use me. You may never use, but God can still use me. Praise God. So I want to do something this morning. And I asked the ushers to come with the communion. And I just wanted to ask the worship team to come up. This is the first Sunday of the month. We're going to have communion today. I want you to live in the glory of Jesus Christ. If I could get four up here and the others can help pass it around. My friends, now listen to me. This is what it takes to be a minister of life. Sacrifice of your very own self to love other people. The laying down of your life. Not my ability and cleverness to win an argument that doesn't win people to Jesus. To demonstrate Jesus wins people to Jesus. This communion represents our great God. Our loving God. Who literally laid himself down for us. To give us life. When we hated him. When we rejected him. When he came into his own and his own received him not. He still went to the cross to love him to make an eternal statement that I will forgive you. I will. And that's the ministry of life and it's supernatural. 2 Corinthians 3 says the only way that can happen in your life is if there is a work of the Holy Spirit to make you a minister of the Spirit. There's no degree. There's no diploma. There's no certificate that makes you a minister of life. Only the Spirit of life if we're going to see this harvest in the last days we need to give life and not death and we need to give Jesus and not Moses and we need to live in such a way that people can be glad and happy because there is freedom and a future for sinners that means there's one for me and one for you praise God so some of these users are up here there's one in the back and we'll pass it around to those of you in the balcony but it and and I'm sure it would be everybody's desire but I want these ushers up here and I want to invite you if you would to stand with me and for those of you that would seriously just seriously with a sincere heart come and take this communion and kneel in this altar and say God make me a minister of life let me live in the ministry of Jesus' glory a life-giving ministry by the Holy Spirit. Let me love people, forgive people, comfort people. Let that be the joy of my life. We're just going to worship the Lord. Believe God to transform you. Ask the Lord. Don't just kneel there and be quiet. Ask the Lord. You gave your life for me. You still give your life to me. And I want to be your servant and your minister out your spirit holy father upon your sons and your daughters